10? Okay, half of you. I'll pray for the rest of you. So half of you are ready to understand who Jesus is, and the rest of you are just kind of here for the ride, right? But we've talked about over the last two weeks, and this is week three, we've talked about how some of us have an understanding, I believe most of us have an understanding about Jesus, but it could be flawed, it could be accurate. You could be sitting here today with a very accurate view and understanding of who Jesus is, and you could not be. Amen? Some of us have learned about Jesus through uh, our parents, and if you did, praise God, hopefully they taught you the right way. Um, Some of us learned about Jesus through uh, Sunday school teachers, like I did. I still remember some of those old Sunday school lessons. I also remember some of the Sunday school discipline. Uh, You with me? And uh, so some of us have learned about Jesus from different ways and different people, and some of it's accurate and some of it's not. Right? But this series, our, our main goal for this series is to really help you understand from God's word, not from our opinions, who Jesus is. Because, and, and the reason is, is because when you understand who Jesus is, then you can understand how to have a better relationship with him. Right? If you understand your spouse and how they feel and how they view things and how they see things, then you can have a better marriage. Right? If you'll take the time to understand your children, then you can better understand how they feel and you can better relate to them. And Lord, help them if they would take the time to understand us, this world would be a better place. You should have said amen. So we're going to discover who Jesus is. You excited about that? Who is this Jesus that I'm serving? Who is this Jesus that I've given my life to? That I prayed some type of a prayer of surrender and said, Lord, I just I just surrender this to you. And that's great. I'm glad you did that. Even if you didn't understand who he is, I'm glad that you did that. But it shouldn't just stay there. Jesus shouldn't just be your salvation. Right? You should have grown more than that. Right? He should be, yes, he's my savior, but he's also my friend. Yes, he's my savior and my friend, but he's also my teacher. He's my savior, my friend, my teacher, and he's also a miracle worker. And the only way you really get to understand Jesus is when you get into a relationship with him. You have conversations with him, right? I mean, people that have a great marriage communicate. They spend time and talk. The man learns how to listen. The woman learns how to control her tongue. That's how you have a marriage that lasts for 70 plus years. Is he learns how to listen. She learns how to stop talking so much. Isn't that right? I mean, it's simple. The men just need to listen and the women need to be more accurate. Headlines, baby. Men don't read the fine print. Can I get an amen? But if we'll learn how to to relate to one another better, we can have a better relationship. Right? If you learn to spend time with Jesus and talk to Jesus, and if you break away from this religious thing that says you've got to sit down or get on your knees and go, Our Father in heaven. I mean, come on, man. How many of you sit down with your wife and go, Oh, dear spouse, would thou bend thy ear towards thee for a moment of time? Come on. You're serving a real savior, a real friend. Amen. We talked about how Jesus up until he was 30 years old, didn't really do any miracles. He was a normal person, just like the rest of us. He had conflicts. He had relational issues. He scuffed his knee. I even said he might've had a crush on a few girls. You can look at me all crazy if you want to. Jesus was a man. Boy, now you got some religious folk up in here this morning. Jesus got a crush? Oh, God, Jesus can't have a crush? I'm going to ask him. Because I sure had a lot of crushes. 
But we've got to get past this whole thing of, of seeing Jesus as someone that's unrelatable. Somebody that's just sitting up in heaven and we can't have a relationship with. We've got to get past this thing that he's, he's there for the moments and not the life. Right? He's there for the crisis, but not for the good times. Come on, somebody. He is there always. At the grocery store, he's there. In the bathroom, he's there. And if you're married, in the bedroom, he's there. He's real. He's not fake. He's definitely not religious. That's the people he pretty much cussed out was the religious folk. He called them a bunch of snakes. You brood of vipers. You're messing up the whole gospel. Putting rules and regulations on what the, what's wrong with you. But then when a prostitute comes, he says to her, stand up. Your sins are forgiven you. Be free. Live free. He loved the prostitute. He was mad at the religious people. That's not a religious God. I'm going to start the message in a minute. (laughs) But we got to get past that whole thing that we were. Honestly, I was raised that way. Nobody ever told me when I was coming up that I could I could talk to Jesus. I believed I could. I I sang enough of those Sunday school songs to believe that I could talk to Jesus. And just the Sunday school songs never said that he talked back to me. And that I could actually hear his voice. I wish somebody would have told me that at a young age. I'll let you in on a secret. That's how we're brainwashing your kids in children's church. We're telling them God speaks, baby. He's real. He talks to you and you talk to him and y'all have like a real relationship. Man, how that would have changed my life growing up. Right? So today we're going to talk about Jesus, the miracle worker. And I think we all have a a belief that Jesus is a miracle worker and that he can perform miracles. I just think sometimes we get caught up in this thing where we think that it's not for me. Jesus can heal everybody else on my street but me. My problem's too big for Jesus to heal. Come on. I know how the devil works. He gets you in this place where you start thinking you got the world's greatest problems. And you just want everybody to bring you a trophy. Make a shrine to you. You're the greatest mortar that ever walked the earth. Because your problem is so big. That even Jesus can't heal it. I was just meant to live this way. I'll take this to the cross. You might. But there's several ways you can take it to the cross. Amen. Jesus, the miracle worker. So what I want to do today is I want to I want to just back up for a moment and I just want us just to step outside of ourselves. And I'm not trying to get weird and kooky with you. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. I'll make it practical. A friend of mine took my son, Ethan. It was Ethan's birthday yesterday. He took my son and, and, and myself on a plane ride. And it was awesome. I mean, it was great. I, I didn't really talk the whole time because my head was stuck out the window. And my, my neck still sore because I just I saw the landscape. I've been on commercial planes and you see the landscape when you take off. But this was a, a smaller plane and you see it the whole trip. So I, I said, there's my moo. There's Mark's house. There's Cameron running around Mark's house. But I saw the whole thing. And my son was like, he said this. He goes, Dad. I never realized we had so many rice fields. I thought there was a few around the house because you see, he was seeing things this way, right? And he didn't see things this way. Come on, this is good. And if we're not careful, we get stuck at seeing things this way. And there may be a couple of bushes in front of us that we can't see past. Right? Right? But what that did is it gave my son and me a different perspective on the area in which we live. We did a flyby over my house. I was like, wow, this is cool. I mean, I looked at my house on Google Maps and it's kind of like the satellite image. And that was great. But this was like real time. It's like, wow, look at the chickens. 
I don't know if I could see the chickens, but I was, you know what I'm saying. I was like, wow, my barn's roof needs to be painted. It looks bad from up here. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to see a little different. Is that okay? Can we see things not this way? Let's see things this way. Does that make sense? Shake your head. So I'll keep on trying to convince you that it makes sense. Our key verse for the series is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. I love this verse. I'm really falling in love with it. It's, it's from the message translation. Paul speaking, he says, You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. He says, I deliberately, say that, deliberately, deliberately. kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. So Paul saying to the church of Corinth, he said, look, I'm coming just to tell you very plain, very simply who Jesus is, because I want you to understand who he is first before you understand what he did. Amen. Now, that kind of goes against some of our thinking, because we always want to think that Jesus, the crucified, is the most important thing. Right. But sometimes it's not just the most important thing. It's one of the most important things. Amen. So our verse for today is, is found in John. I want you to I want to read this to you. Go with me to John chapter two. And Becky, I'm going to read this whole thing from John chapter two. If you want to if you can just kind of keep up with me. John chapter two. My thumbs ain't working this morning. Well, use your tab. To understand that Jesus is a miracle worker, you first need to go back to the first time it happened. Okay? This is the first written miracle that Jesus performs in the Bible. Okay? This is the wedding feast. John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivity, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Now, you've got to understand, the celebration for the wedding sometimes lasted seven days. Man, that's a party. I mean, think about throwing down for seven days. Most of us can't stay one hour at the reception. Right? I mean, it was a celebration. It was like a real party. I don't know anybody that parties for seven days unless they're on drugs. <laughs> it better be some good stuff. Watch what Jesus says to his mom. He says, dear woman, that's, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. So Jesus is almost expressing this type of attitude that this really isn't the time. It's not my problem. You're seeing this. But watch what he does. For all you young folks, Jesus does listen to his mama. All the mama said, amen. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Isn't that just like a mom? Mom, this, this isn't my problem. Listen, y'all just do whatever he says. Don't worry about what he's saying right now. But just whatever he tells you to do, you just go ahead on and do it. Isn't that funny? Just like a mama. Come and see, he said. It is about four o'clock. In, oh, I'm sorry. Wrong verse. Verse 6, standing nearby were, were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. These were basically bathtubs. Okay? You need to understand this. These were big old jars. They held between 25 and 30 gallons of water. And what they did is before they went in, they would do a ceremonial washing. It wasn't just a little quick dip of the fingers and a little splash. It was like a washing. And if they didn't do it right, they had to go back outside and do it again. Okay? That's the kind of jars Jesus used to perform a miracle. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the, wa the water... That was now wine, not knowing where it come from, though, of course, the servants knew he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the cheap stuff. 
right? The Boone's Farm and everything. It might be some fancy French name or something when you first get started. Oh, this is some Chardonnay. Like, whoa, we're drinking the good stuff. And before you know it, you're sipping on Boone's Farm. And then you got a real hangover when it comes the next day. The master of the ceremonies is saying, man, basically, y'all, this is crazy. You're bringing out the good stuff last. The, the first stuff was I thought was the best stuff, but this is even better. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Think about that. You've kept the best until now. You see, in the Jewish culture, they had a saying that if the the wine runs out, the joy runs out. We pretty much say that here in South Louisiana, too, right? (laughs) If there ain't no beer, I'm going home. Hopefully you didn't say that this weekend. But that was kind of the thinking that the joy runs out when the wine is gone. And so what happened here is that in this celebration, the joy ran out. That's what Mary was really saying. Jesus, the joy ran out. Jesus said, it's not my problem, but I'll go ahead and fix it anyway. And he brings out new joy. The best joy. How many times do we try to find joy in places and things that can never bring joy and fulfillment? That's the cheap stuff in life. Right? I mean, you see some of these adrenaline junkies jumping out of a perfectly good airplane just to get some kind of joy and rush and high. I'm thinking, you're stupid. If the plane's good, I'm good. Right? But they're trying to feel something inside of them that only God can feel. It's real joy. It's the best. And let me tell you something this morning. Jesus just wants to give you his best. He didn't come up with a quick filler or a cheap imitation. He came up with the best. And here's the secret. He took the nastiest thing in the celebration and made it the best thing. Some of you before you met Jesus, like myself, was one of the nastiest things on the planet. But Jesus made something beautiful out of you. Amen. Come on. Some of you were just like me. I mean, you were like the barnacle on the bottom of a boat in Delcom. That's how low you were. Right. But because Jesus touched your life, he made you new. Say that with me. Say I'm brand new. The old is gone. The new has come. Look at your name. Say I'm brand new, baby. If it's a dude, say, I'm brand new, bro. I'm calling another dude baby. That just ain't right. Kicked out the church like that. <laughs> we don't play that around here. Many of us need miracles in our lives because we're disappointed because we have such high expectations of things. Many of us have been disappointed with Christianity because somebody lied to you and told you that when you give your life to Jesus, everything's fine. Right? They say, oh, just give your life to Jesus and the birds will sing prettier. The flowers will be prettier. Your finances will never struggle. I'm here to tell you today, by the power of God, when you give your life to Jesus, all hell's going to break loose against you. Can I get an amen? That's the truth. People that always said they loved you, now they hate you. I know my pastor, he gave his life, he was full of drugs, got kicked out of every school in Lafayette. He gave his life to Jesus and he becomes radical for Jesus. And his mama says, I liked you better before you met Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. Today he's celebrating his 29th wedding anniversary. Isn't that awesome? 29 years and all his teachers wrote him off. Never amount to anything. Barnacle on the bottom of the boat. But he met Jesus. So let me give you three things that might put you in the wrong place in life. Get you tied up into some wrong thinking. And really just twist your life up. Number one, we focus on feelings instead of faith. Isn't that the truth? We focus on how we feel 
more than we focus on faith. We can fake it as much as we want to, but when it boils down, we love to tell people our problems, don't we? How was your week? Oh, it was great. But man, my truck broke down, my, my dog died, and the cat bit me. Isn't it true? Isn't how it is? We're struggling. My, and you go on. You fill in the blank. We focus on our feelings more than we focus on faith. They came to Jesus and they said they were upset when the wine was gone. Did you see that? that everything was fine. Everybody was having a great time until the wine was gone. Then what? They realized they weren't feeling as good as they were before. Right? They realized that something was missing. And for most of us, life is great until we realize something's missing. I mean, seriously, you, I've, I've had morning, mornings when I've, I've spent time with Jesus and had a great time. I get up and I'm like fired up in the kingdom, in the spirit. I just, whoo, like a giant. And I'll go somewhere and one of my buddies gets a new truck better than mine. And all of a sudden I'm facing this thing where I'm feeling less than I did before. Well, golly, Lord, I thought you loved me too. He's got the 2014. I still got a 2011. Are you seeing what? Well, it's a stupid example, but it's the truth, isn't it? We get out of focus when we realize what we don't have. Jesus doesn't love you just because you drive a Ford. For all you Chevy guys, that's a little bit of redemption. He likes you more, but that he doesn't love you anymore, okay? Okay. <laughs> But some of us focus on our feelings more than we focus on faith. When 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we live by faith and not by sight. Come on. Listen, when you become a Christian, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you become blind. Actually, it means you pay closer attention to the things around you. Right? But that's why his word says that you're supposed to live by faith and not by sight. Are you hearing me? That means that you can see something terrible. You can see a giant coming against you. You can see a wall come up in front of you. But you can still live by faith and not by sight. Let me tell you how you know if you're doing that. Is if when you see a giant rise up in front of you, how does your attitude change? How does your emotions change? How does your faith change? Do you amp up when the giant comes in front of you or a problem comes up? Or do you squelch back? Because most of us are like this. When, when something pops up in front of us, a problem, a relational issue, whatever it is, a financial issue, we'll, we'll be hunky-dory happy with Jesus. And then this thing pops up and we go, oh, God, what did I do wrong? I'm so sorry, Lord, please. Me. <laughs> I thought we were good, God. Right? Or we get mad at him and go, come on, man. What's up with that? I thought you said you loved me. What's up with this thing, man? I'm supposed to have all this financial freedom. What's up with our tithe? Right? But if you're walking by faith, it doesn't matter what pops up in front of you. You usually lose the bottom of your foot and you go, get out of the way, sucker. And can I tell you, that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to walk by faith and not by sight. He wants you to go forward and not squelch back. When a problem arises, you need to see it as an opportunity to grow in Christ. And not as an opportunity to cry, whine, and moan. Some of your friends just said, Amen. But we got to see it as a challenge, as something that we walk through. I get to activate this faith that I've been reading about, studying about, praying about, that my pastor's been sweating about. I get to activate this thing and use it. Amen? You get to go forward. You get to see God work like you've never saw it work before. If you've never had your heart broken, you never know Jesus as healer, as comforter. If you've never lost a loved one, you never get to know Jesus as the comforter. 
you never get to understand the comfort of the Holy Spirit that he gives to you. If you've never had problems in your life, then you don't get to know Jesus as the teacher, as the miracle worker, as the provider. If you've never been without lack, you never get to know Jesus as the provider. But buddy, let me tell you, when you have lack, you learn a lot about Jesus and a whole lot about yourself. Isn't that right? That's why it's important for parents to let their kids suffer a little bit so that they know that you're not the provider. Jesus is. Because you see, training your kids means that you need to let them know that if you got a problem, you need to pray about it. This is what we do with our kids. If our kids have nightmares, which they rarely do, but if they have nightmares or they're scared at night, they get up, they come to our bedroom and they disturb our sleep. I don't like that. And I really don't feel like praying for them. Just being real. But we taught them. Have you prayed about it? Have you taken your thoughts captive and brought them to the obedience of Christ? Am I right, Virginia? Have we not done this? So we'll send them back to their room in the middle of the night. You go back and you pray. That God give you peace. That sounds kind of hard, doesn't it? I see it as very soft. That's the best gift I can give them. I can pray for them. And boom, healed, go, go back to bed. Everybody's going to sleep. But then the next time they have one, who they coming to? Me. Well, their mama. They don't wake me up unless it's like real bad. Thank God. But I train them. Something happens, you go at it. You don't squelch back. Because we're not called to squelch back, Right? We're called overcomers. We're called children of God. We're called victorious. That's what he sees us as. We're the righteous ones of God. We're not the chickens of God. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Just like saying that. (laughs) Number two, we take matters into our own hands. Come on, we're all guilty of this one. When God don't move fast enough, what do we do? We fix it ourselves, don't we? If he don't show up in the package we want him to show up in, what do we do? We fix it ourselves. Let me tell you something. Jesus just might come to you in the package that you don't like just to show you that you need to like that package anyway. How do I know that? Because he's done that to me. I've had people correct me about my kids and their kids were like whacked out. I'm like, you going to correct me? That's what I'm thinking inside. You're going to correct me about my kids? That's what the flesh wanted to say. The flesh wanted to go in the nose. Just hit him. Because I'm like, anyway. But instead, I went home and I prayed about my kids and I got a word for each one of them. I didn't like the package, but the message was dead on. Amen? But we try to take matters into our own hands. And what happens when we do that? We get tired, don't we? Well, I mean, we get fired up about, oh, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do this. Oh, I've got to provide. I'm going to run to mama for some finances. Thank God mama's still alive. Or I'm going to run to the bank. Or I'm going to run over here to, to get this fixed. Or if you lose your job, I'm going to see Uncle T. I hate working for Uncle T, but I know he'll give me a job. But we try to fix it. Instead of just stopping and saying, God, i got a problem. He goes, yep, you do. I need some help with this problem. It's about time you ask. Because the funny thing is we always go full circle. And where do we end up? Back in the place we're supposed to start. We talked about this last week. We get on this vicious cycle of trying to fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, get tired, get tired, get tired, get weary, get weary, get mad at everybody, everybody hates you. Now you come to your knees on Jesus and you say, I just wrecked it all. I'm sorry, I need some help. He goes, been waiting. Right? I've been waiting. Watch this verse in Isaiah. You need to mark this verse and you need to study this thing. It's, it's a good, a good ribeye right here that you need to chew on after church. Don't chew on it now. Wait till after church. Isaiah 30, verse 15 to 18. Watch what it says. It says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust, trust is your strength. But you would, you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. 
Therefore, you will flee. You said we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift till you are left a flagstaff on the mountaintop like a banner on a hill. Yes, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Did you hear that? He longs to be gracious to you. Anybody longing for something today? God is longing to show you his grace. He's longing to let you let him show up in his life, in your life. He's longing for the opportunity. He's looking for an opportunity to give you grace. But if you don't let him, he can't do it. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who waited for him. Man, isn't that so much better than getting on that vicious cycle of trying to take matters into your own hands? It's just instead do what Second Peter says to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And in, when you do that, do you realize that when you cast your cares upon Jesus, you now give him an opportunity to cast his care for you onto you? It's as if you take your cares and you go, I'm giving them to you. And he says, good, now I can give you some care. Some of you aren't well taken care of because you won't let him take care of you. I realized after nine, after nine years of, of running my own business and building my own business and doing all these things, I saw God work in that business. And I worked hard in that business. But I realized that my time in that business was spent with just me pouring my guts out into that thing and never letting God take care of me. When I sold the company, I was the unhealthiest I'd ever been in my life. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. I was a wreck. My wife is a witness. I was a wreck because I would not stop to let him care for me. Are you hearing me? I ran on my own talents and my own abilities and my own adrenaline. And I very seldom ran on his blessings and his provision. And I exhausted myself and became very unhealthy. Because I didn't let the miracle worker work a miracle in my life. Amen. Number three, let me go back over one and two. Number one, we focus on feelings instead of faith. Number two, we take matters into our own hands. Number three, we exaggerate the negative. (laughs) My son is the best example in the world of this. Okay, this is how my son's day goes. He gets up in the morning very early. Very ambitious, very full of energy. He's not one of these kids that's going to sleep till 12 o'clock. Number one, I wouldn't let him, but number two, he's not built that way. Okay? He gets up, he hits the door running, man. He's, if, he's, if he can't get outside, he's bouncing all over the house, waking everybody else up. So it, he, when he gets outside, I mean, he's doing something. He's, he's either building something or he's tearing something down. And it's usually something that doesn't need to be torn down. Right. So, I mean, he's just like all over the place. My dad came home one day when my my dad was living with us and he had this set of ball peen hammers and he drives up in the driveway one day and he sees this hammer laying on the concrete and he goes, what's my hammer doing out? And he picks it up and the head is just like mushroomed out. This is a ball peen hammer. He's like, what the heck happened to my hammer? And right next to it was a, a wood splitting wedge. And Ethan was only like five or six. And he was out in the yard beating the wedge with the hammer. Bing, bing, good enough to get a shrapnel in his eye or something, be blind the rest of his life. But that's how he spends his day. He's just a rambunctious little boy. But buddy, let me tell you what happens after he takes his bath and seven o'clock comes around. He turns into the biggest teddy bear you ever met. And we started calling him out on this. The whole family calls him out now because we'll sit down to have supper and as soon as he gets in the house, when we make him come in, he comes in and he starts, he starts looking at his wounds. He starts going, man, man, dad. First he starts out, dad, look, I got a cut. And he tries to build this big story. He exaggerates everything. He says, wow, jumped off the trampoline and this hawk flew by and he caught me with his talon. And 
You know, something crazy. I'm like, really? And so when he realizes he ain't going to schmooze me, he then goes to his mom and he kind of, this is what he, his countenance changes. He goes, leave me. And he goes, and he goes in the kitchen with his mom. And he'll walk around her. And so she goes, what's wrong, buddy? My head hurts. And I'm sitting back going, you little sucker. Little hustler. And he'll try to milk his mama, and man, everything hurts after he takes his bath. And he exaggerates the negative until we started calling him out. So he comes in the house now, and if he, he pulls this, as soon as he pulls this, either me or the girls go, ah, oh, come on, it's teddy bear time. Teddy bear time. We might even make up a song about a teddy bear. We just call him out on it. But aren't we like that at times? We like to focus on the negative, exaggerate the negative. Right? You want to test this? Go tell somebody that your car broke down. They're going to tell you how bad their car broke down. Well, you think you had a breakdown. I had a breakdown. I mean, I didn't just have a flat. The wheel came off. And it rolled down the street and hit somebody else's car. And, and my insurance premium wasn't paid. And Come on, aren't we childish? Well, you are, in case you didn't say amen. You are. We exaggerate the negative. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. No matter how many promises he makes, it's yes. You hanging in there with me? It's yes. His promises are yes and amen. Just like I said for communion, they're not going to change. So maybe you need to learn his promises. I got a song out on the radio today. It's hold on to the promises. Isaiah 57 says, good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. And no one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil that is to come. A lot of times we don't understand why we go through what we go through, do we? So let me ask you a question. What does it take to get a miracle? I want to give you a few pointers about what it takes to get a miracle. You give me a couple more minutes. Oh, I got I got plenty of time. Number one, do what Jesus says to do. <laughs> wow. Whew. Man, I was rich. Man, pastor, you're so wise. <laughs> if you really knew me. Just do what Jesus says to do. That's what Mary, his mother, told the servants. She said, look, just do whatever he tells you to do. And a lot of times, if we'll just do what Jesus says to do, we'll see the miracle happen. Right? I love about when, one of the things I love about when Pastor Willem comes is when he prays for you, he doesn't just pray and then you go away. He prays and he says, let's test it. The one Wednesday we were in Broussard and we, were, we had a healing service and we were praying for the prayer team. And he prayed for one of the ladies in the prayer team. And he said, I just want you to test it. But he's got that South African accent. She thought he said, taste it. So I'm watching her when he prays for her. And he prays for her. She gets healed right there in his teaching. He's just training them. She gets healed and he says to test it. And she does like this. And I went. What's that about? So we go into the service and she's up there praying hands, laying hands on people, praying for people. She's telling them, and go ahead and taste it. <laughs> I wish I'd have known I'd have been over there videoing because there'd probably been a lot of people like this. <laughs> so afterwards she starts giggling because she realized he said to test it and not to taste it. And she's kind of embarrassed. And so she's telling me, I go, well, did you taste anything? And she said, well, yeah. I said, well, was it good? Well, yeah, it was good. That's okay. <laughs> Don't be embarrassed. But he always tested. Are you with me? Just do what Jesus says to do. It's very simple. It may not be easy, but it's simple. 
Just do what he says to do. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a highly educated person to obey Jesus. That's why Paul said, I'm just going to keep it simple. Plain and simple. Who Jesus is. So that way you can receive him. Plain and simple. Because he talks to us. Plain and simple. I was praying one time to lose weight. I said, Lord, help me lose weight because I've been working on doing this. And he, this is what he told me. Eat half of what you normally eat. I was like, really? Yes. Eat half of what you normally eat. I was like, I got to write that down. <laughs> he deals with us simply. Amen. He's not trying to make it so complicated that you can't hang on to it. He's not like the doctor's office you go to and you need a translator to understand what the doctor said. He gives it to you plain. Just do what he says to do. And a lot of us, a lot of times look for these, these, how can I say that? These formulas to receive a miracle, right? Well, if you stand on your left foot, put your right foot behind your, your, your knee and raise your right hand and say, Jesus is mine, you'll get your sight back. Right? You remember the Michael Jordan commercial? When Michael, I mean, how many of you remember Michael Jordan? One of the greatest basketball players ever. Michael Jordan, they came out with these, these commercials for Nike, and it said, and Mike, Michael Jordan would do all these fabulous things that he does on the basketball court, right? And he had these Nikes on, they would take shots of the Nikes. And at the end of the commercial, and they'd say, it must be the shoes. Well, let me tell you something. I bought the shoes. And number one, I couldn't dunk from a ladder, much less jump from the free throw line and slam. A lot of times we look for formulas for God to do a miracle when it's just simply do what he tells you to do. But you know something? You never find out what he tells you to do if you never talk to him. A lot of us want miracles and we want God to show up and we can't wait for the African medicine man to come and pray for us. When the whole time God's going, you could have had this 10 months ago if you would have just sat down and talked to me. I love it when the African medicine man comes. But I also know that my hope's not in him. And I just don't get healed when he comes around. I can get it for myself. Let me tell you something. I've prayed for myself one time and my back was healed. A lot of times we try to wrap our minds around God, don't we? Especially, I mean, this is for all you analytical, detailed people that are unlike me. It's easy for me to follow God. Because I just got this dumb thing about me. I go, okay. Okay, Lord, I'll go. Pack your bags up and move to Jennings. Okay. That's just kind of the way I am. And my wife, she's been on a whirlwind. But for you analytical, figured out, got to understand kind of people, you might be having a hard time with God because you don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. How many of you like that? You just got to know. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're just that type of a person. He made you that way. He made you a thinker and a processor and a detailed oriented person to help out all of us other people. Amen. But just because he made you like that doesn't mean that you got to live like that. Right? Just because you can't wrap your mind around God doesn't mean that he can't show up. Just because you can't figure out how Jesus turned a dirty pot of water into the best wine they ever tasted. Just because you can't mentally figure that out. Doesn't mean that he can't do it. And you got to fight to get past that, right? Don't you? Because if you can't figure them out, a lot of times, if you can't figure something out, you just kind of push it to the side. But if you're not careful, you'll let your lack of understanding of God destroy your relationship with God. Right? Number two. In order to get a miracle, we need to focus on what God wants to do in you. You see, we got to stop looking at the problem and let it become so big 
And we got to say, God, what are you doing in me through this? You heard me and Cheryl's testimony of, of finances. We were both working. She had a college degree making about $75,000 a year. We had a brand new house. Virginia was just born. We both had brand new cars with notes and all these things going on. And we, we felt in our hearts she needed to quit working and become a stay-at-home mom to raise the kids in the way that we felt they needed to be raised. But on paper, we couldn't do it. But we had this, this feeling in our heart, this desire to do things the way we felt like God wanted us to do them. And so we couldn't figure it out on paper, but instead we decided to walk by faith and she quit her job. And the first week or month, whatever it was, the bills are coming due. She's freaking out. I'm freaking out. We're short. A couple hundred dollars short from paying the bills. And I told her, I said, we do not miss a tithe. We tithe no matter what. That's the first thing. And we've been doing that. And I said, baby, I just looked at her. I said, baby, we just got to trust God. He's going to show up somehow. And I was telling her that, but I was telling me that at the same time. And the next daggone day, that's how crazy it was. The next day, she gets a check in the mail for $400 from her gynecologist. She wanted to call him and tell him it was a mistake. I was like, heck no. You don't call nobody. You take the money and run. But she called. And they had an argument on the phone. You overpaid us. No, ma'am, I didn't overpay you. Yes, ma'am, you did, Miss Tyler. You overpaid us. No, ma'am, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. <laughs> but we don't want the check back. Okay. You know what? God did something in us through that. That was our, our starting point of faith. Our faith journey with God was when we decided to step out on a limb and just trust him. Now, there's not a doubt in my mind that Jesus is my provider. Amen. Time and time and time again, I've seen him show up in, in my finances and in every other area of life, but especially in my finances. When I was children's pastor, I wanted, I, we were broke, and I wanted to buy the kids some candy for children's church that night. And that morning I got up and said, Lord, I need some money for children's church. I want to buy some blow pops. You see how real he is? Lord, I want blow pops. I get out of my, pull up to work, I get out of my car, and I take off walking down the street to go jump on a piece of equipment, and I look down, and there's a $10 bill. I went, ha! You heard me. I took that, I bought $10 worth of blow pops. Some kids want a sugar high like they never knew before. But we was going to celebrate. I didn't stretch it out for a couple weeks. I, we, we bought everything. Everybody had three blow pops. It was good. But God did something in me. Are you seeing that? You got to stop focusing on the thing that's in front of you and let that be your distraction and think that God's mad at you and all these other things. You got to know that God is for you and not against you. And you got to keep that in your mind. And that needs to be your focus so that when you go forward, you don't focus on the problem. You focus on faith. Amen. Because he wants to do something in you. The greatest thing you have in your hands is your faith. I'll say that again. The greatest thing you have in your hands is your faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. He's always doing something in us. You know what happened during the wedding feast? He didn't just do a miracle. He taught his people something. His disciples learned something about him that they never knew before. His mama learned something about him that she never knew before. Right? He doesn't waste a moment. He's always doing something in us. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He, Peter says that your faith is greater than gold. 
Your faith is greater than gold. Number three, believe the unbelievable. It's just so simple, isn't it? Just believe the unbelievable. Let me ask you a question. What are you trusting God for right now? Because you ought to be trusting him for something. Because he'll never let you get to the point where you don't have something to trust for. Something to believe for. Amen. For me, I'm believing for this region. I'm, I'm believing for this piece of property right here. You can pray with me. I talked to the lady this week. I want this whole block is what I want. I'm believing God for that whole block. I went through the house. I, I kind of hope. I ain't going to say it. The house is really rough. But I'm, I'm believing for first this, this corner right here because I see in a vision that God's given me a big, nice building right there. And it's not about the building. It's about the people. But I'm believing him for the unbelievable. Amen. What are you believing God for? John 2, uh, I'm sorry, Mark 10, 27 says that Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things are possible with God. Amen? Number four, expect the best. The master of the ceremonies was blown away by the wine that he received from the servants because it was the best. You see, Jesus doesn't just start you out with this big bang called salvation and you and want you to believe that that's the greatest thing he has to offer you. It is the greatest thing he has to offer you. But there's other great things that he wants to offer to you. Amen. It's like the wine. It's going to get better and better and better and better. Your relationship with Jesus should be getting better and better and better and better. If you're stale. You need to change something. Are you hearing me? If it's unfresh, if it's kind of just mundane, if it's just kind of blah, you need to do something different. Are you hearing me? Because your relationships should be always getting better. You should be experiencing more of God. Let me tell you something. We should be learning about God until the day we stand in front of him. We should be walking by faith and not by sight until we don't have to walk by faith anymore. Right? And that's when we're in glory, man. That's when we we don't need faith anymore. We're there. We made it, baby. He's got the best. And he wants it for you. He wants you to have the best marriage. He wants you to have the best relationship with your kids. He wants you to be the best employee at your job, the best boss that could ever be. He wants you to have the best finances. Come on. He wants to give you his best, but it's more than material things. He wants you to have the best joy, the best peace. Amen. He wants you to have the most fulfillment from him. Expect it. Listen to me. You're serving the king of the universe. How dare you expect anything less than the best? He's not in the secondhand business. He doesn't own a pawn shop. And he's giving you his leftovers. He doesn't do that. He gives you the best. I can tell when somebody really gets close to Jesus because their life changes. Come on. And it's not because we go around preaching, you got to put makeup on, you got to put your hair up in a bun, you got to wear a long dress, you got you to quit smoking, you got to quit drinking, you got to quit cussing. It's not because we go around preaching all those things, because we don't. We preach, get close to Jesus. Amen. Get close to Jesus. And when you get close to Jesus, I don't have to tell you to quit smoking, he told you. I don't have to tell you that if you don't wear makeup, it's a sin, he told you. Some of you will get that in a minute. I just honestly, anyway, I'm done. It's <laughs> half of you were sleeping. <laughs> Expect the best. So let's run through these real quick. One more time. Scott, you can come up. Number one, do what Jesus says to do. Number two, focus on what God wants to do in you. 
Stop focusing on your friends and what God's doing in them. Focus on what he's doing in you. Number three, believe the unbelievable. Are you trusting God for something unbelievable? And number four, expect the best. The end of that story goes like this. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Isn't that how he treats us? Isn't that how he loves us? Ephesians 3.20 says, Not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, he can do more than you can even imagine. He says that my thoughts are greater than your thoughts. My ways are greater than your ways. On your best day, with your best t-shirt on, and your best mind, you cannot have the thoughts that, that God has. You cannot. Your thoughts aren't as great as God's is. Your ways can never be as great as God's ways are. But you can discover his ways, and you can discover his thoughts, and you can start to think like him, and you can start to act like him. Amen? If you'll let him. If you'll just let him. Can I tell you one of the hardest things for me is just letting him. It's waiting for him to show up. I'm an impatient man. I really am. I want it now. But I discover and I am discovering that as I wait for him. His ways are greater than my ways. His thoughts are greater than my thoughts. His love for me is greater than I even knew before. Amen. Jesus is a miracle worker. Are you going to let him work miracles in your life? Can you stand up with me this morning? Some of you are here this morning and you've, you've struggled in understanding who Jesus is. You've had a hard time. You've struggled in walking with confidence and with faith because, honestly, you just don't know who he is and you don't know who you are in his sight and who, he, or who you are in his, in his mind and in his heart, right? I hope today that you opened your mind and you saw things differently. I hope today that you understand better who Jesus is. He's your best friend. He qualifies to be your best friend. He's your teacher. He's the greatest teacher ever known to man. He doesn't just teach in theologies. He teaches in experience and with experience and with examples. And he's a miracle worker. So can you trust him to perform miracles in your life? Without having to wait for the medicine man to come or for, for somebody else to pray for you, can you just do like my kids and start praying for yourself? And you know what? You might not get anywhere, and you may need somebody else to pray for you. And that's fine. That's what we're here for. But can you believe him to be the miracle worker that he really is? I just want you to open your hands up like this. Can you receive that? Father, I come to you right now, Jesus, and I thank you that you're my best friend. I thank you that you're the greatest teacher ever known that will ever be. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're a miracle worker. I thank you that I've been able to experience miracles in my life and just share in that moment of glory, share in that moment of of just unbelievable things happening right in front of me. Thank you that you only have the best for me, Jesus. No secondhand goods here, Lord. Only the best. Only the best for your children and for your best friends, for your students. Only the best. 
So, Lord, help us today to wrap our minds around the fact of who you are. Help us to begin to understand your greatness and your glory and your goodness for us. Help us, Lord, to open our minds and see things differently. Help us then to receive you for who you are. I pray against any bad thinking, Lord, any bad teaching, any bad things that that people may have said to us. I just pray against those things and I say all those thoughts and teachings and, and understandings leave and just true understanding and true teaching and true knowledge of who Jesus is come. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And Lord, I thank you for today. And I praise your holy and righteous name. Lord, bless us as we go. Bless the work of our hands. Help us to discover your grace. Help us to discover your provision for us, Father. Everywhere we go, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?